Kids love movies. If you're a young person who can't see or can't see well, Audio Description provides access to the visual images that sighted kids enjoy. The benefits of Audio Description in Education Baby Contest, sponsored by ACB's Audio Description Project and the Described and Captioned Media Program, wants those kids to experience Audio Description and then tell us about it. You have a chance to win prizes for yourself and your teacher. Just go to www.dcmp.org slash learn slash 658 to enter. And keep on enjoying audio description. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello and welcome to Tuesday Topics. Your host has been away for a while, but is overjoyed to be back. And I'm particularly overjoyed to be able to welcome as my guest on my first returning show, the president of the American Council of the Blind, Mr. Dan Spoon. Dan, how are you, sir? I'm wonderful, Paul. It's great to hear your voice. We've uh, heard so many people that have been missing Tuesday topics. So it's the, uh, you know, version, uh, uh, what do you want to call it, uh, kind of, uh, trip of uh, 2021 and i'm glad to be with you excellent 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 so we should get to the really important thing first um who's going to win the super bowl well it's hard to bet against the kansas city chiefs but i'm a tampa bay buccaneers fan so i am going to be rooting really hard for the buccaneers that's that's uh, that's a political answer daniel <laughs> It is. And, you know, our executive director, Eric Bridges, is a big Kansas City Chiefs fan growing up in Iowa. So, you know, this is kind of a we got a little grudge match coming here. Oh, we do. But it's yeah. exciting. It is. Um, it is. So 2020 was was uh, started out as uh, as a good year for ACB. We had a great convention planned. Our expectation was that um, that that we were going to be moving ahead and gradually building our sponsors and then suddenly in march the pandemic comes along and um, the rest of the year as it were became strange so how would you describe 2020 for acb wow i i would say it was a a real roller coaster, uh, yep. you know, from my old Disney days, uh, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Yes. Uh, you, you, uh, you know, had, I don't think any of us had a way of uh, foreseeing what really played out in 2020. So, uh, you know, I'm, I, you know, we're coming up now on, on February and, you know, 11 months ago, we were all in D.C. Uh, enjoying each other's company at the D.C. Leadership Conference and, you, were. Uh, you know, had a, a wonderful hotel and, uh, you know, our, our first, um, you know, ACB radio uh, broadcast board meeting and I think, uh, you know, just a really, really jam-packed leadership conference and you know everybody up walking on capitol hill uh, and who knew you know that that literally uh three weeks later we were going to be in lockdown mode and yep. our our acb staff uh both in minneapolis and in alexandria were going to be working remotely and it's just been quite quite an amazing ride but i don't know you know paul i think Things kind of happen sometimes, 
I won't, I don't say for a reason, but uh, you know, there's, there's pluses and minuses to everything that takes place in our lives. And I think, uh, you know, this could have been really difficult 10 years yep. ago, but boy, the way technology has advanced and the zoom platform and the ability uh, with really high-speed internet for folks to work very productively from home, uh, I think really, really worked out well for ACB. Yep. I, I, I think our, yeah, our, our staff really, uh, you know, didn't miss a beat. I mean, they, uh, they really, you know, remained very, very productive and it, uh, you know, it it just I, I David Trot, you know, our, our ACB treasurer and I spoke, you know, just a, a week or two after this had all taken place. You know, within within two weeks, we as a board had to all get together and decide to move our convention to uh, first decide not to have an in person convention, which was really hard. So, the fifty ninth annual ACB conference and convention, and for it not to be in person, which we'd always done, uh, was really, really, really a hard pill to swallow. And then on top of that, the board kind of had the foresight to go ahead unanimously, I might add, and and take the risk to to host a virtual convention. And with that virtual convention, go bold. You know, don't don't yep. minimize it. Don't make it small. Uh, rise to the occasion. And uh, I, I think we even surprised ourselves a little bit. But yeah, I think so. So yeah. let's let's do two things, and then sure. after we've done these two things, Katie, we're going to open it for a couple of questions. Mm-hmm. And by the way, everyone, our our person in charge of recognizing folks is Katie Frederick, an ACB board member, and one of our chief moguls um in in the the board of publications because she's kind of in charge of uh of our public communication areas and katie it's so nice of you to act for us tonight thank you you're welcome it's great to be here all right so here's here's what i'd like to do mr dan i'd like to 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 try to identify three minuses for 2020 and three pluses okay uh, sure. Okay. So we can kind of go, go back and forth there. So, good. um, well, we'll start with a minus and then with a plus, right? So we can yeah. kind of go from the Ta-da. negative to the positive. There you go. So I would say, um, you know, the first negative that really hit us hard, uh, with the, with the pandemic was just a real concern about our, uh, financial welfare, you know, um, we we receive about 20, 25% of our revenue each year from two thrift stores that ACB owns and operates in Lubbock, Texas and Amarillo, Texas. And uh, with the, you know, the uh, uh, onset of the COVID-19 virus, we had to close down those facilities. We didn't know for how long and really, you know, we're, we're worried about where that uh, that income was going to get made up. And so that was our first really uh, huge negative is that we were looking at probably about a $300,000 loss in revenue for our thrift stores at least. And then on top of that, our investments uh, accounts were plunging. I remember David and I saying, if we could come out of this year with only losing a million dollars of ACB's, uh, you know, investment 
points, we would we would almost consider that you know a, a victory. That that's how worried we were we were about the financial health of of ACB, and you know so that was kind of a negative, and some of that still played itself out. Um, we had, you know, the, the thrift stores ended up losing, you know, uh, not losing, but making about, uh, you know, $275,000 less than, than, than we had budgeted. But we were able to um, then at the same time, even though like with our sponsorships uh, for our convention, they were down about $100,000. But by being able to kind of move to a virtual platform, and uh, by, uh, uh, you know, applying for the, the PPP, the Payroll uh, Protection, Protection Plan program. money, yep. yeah, the PPP program, uh, we were able to recover about $200,000 of, of lost revenue. Uh, the convention, just due, due to, you know, being able to go virtual and the increased attendance <clears throat> and participation that we had, um, and then the and then the stock market rebounded. So, at the end of the year, you know, kind of. So from that, what was just a, an amazing negative um, at the end of the year, we're going to end up uh, in the black about a hundred thousand dollars this year from American Council of the Blind. And so that you know, we've we've had some some real negative bumps along the way, but financially, we've ended up in a in a very healthy position. Um, at the end of the day. Um, I would say the second negative that, that really happened to us was, you know, just the, the, the impact of the COVID-19 virus. I mean, what that uh, did to our, uh, our community, our blind and visually impaired community, which uh, as we all know, tends to be more severely, um, impacted than than the general community when when events like this occur so you know loss of transportation loss of access to groceries loss of uh access to just all those things that we need for daily living uh was i think for our membership a a negative that we had to to be aware of and and address throughout the year and so one of the big one of the big mm-hmm. pluses though i think yeah. um, was the survey that uh, acb became involved in promoting with uh, afp yeah, um, flattening the curve right yes mm-hmm. yeah you know i thought i thought that really helped to to gather information uh, about what the actual impacts of uh, of of covid were for folks mm-hmm. who are blind and visually impaired and also draw attention of the general public and and um, hopefully state and federal officials as well to mm-hmm. the fact that here's a population that is essentially experiencing substantial disadvantages and you guys aren't doing much about it. Right. Yep. And, and so, you know, we were continually dealing with a lot of, lot of negatives in, in that particular right. in, 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 in health and, and, you know, we were losing some members because of the virus. People were getting sick. Uh, yep. You know, just you know, tragedies that you know that are that are there, and we'll 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 you know have to, of course, live with for the rest of our lives. Um, on the other hand, it's it's kind of you know it's it's this yin and yang. Um, what what it it also did though was it created uh, 
this need for social interaction, for, for our community to come together, you know, and out of that was born our, you know, community events, which started with just a couple of the first week and then grew to, you know, a few more the second week and, uh, you know, then turned into really an amazing platform for our members and friends and, uh, you know, anyone dealing with, um, with blindness. And so uh, now that has turned into this amazingly vibrant platform with, with 80 community events each week. Uh, it's generated, I think, first I want to say an empathy you know, a, a yep. real, yeah, you, you know what I mean, Paul? It's just, we're helping, it's, it's blind people helping blind people cope with what's going on in their daily lives. And, um, and I've been so proud of ACB this year and how yep. we've reached out and helped each other, you know? Now, I mean, do we know yeah. yet whether, whether um, the, all of the community events and so on ha- are actually going to turn out to... Um, uh, to to give us more members than we had last year, I think I, I, I believe the answer. I believe the answer is yes. Um, one of thing one of the things we're learning through this entire process is that our you know our membership certification process happens once a year. You know, right. in the in, in obviously right now in the first quarter, kind of culminating with with March fifteenth and and everybody turning in their their membership rosters for the for the next year. What we've found as a little bit of a, a glitch through this whole process is people are uh, joining affiliates, uh, special interest affiliates in large numbers from what I uh, understand talking to some of their presidents and also the state affiliates. But because of the way our cycle works for membership, we, in many cases, uh, those, those new members are not being reported back to the ACB membership um, database because you don't have to certify but once a year and so now we're getting feedback from multiple new members that say hey i joined in june july august but um you know i'm not getting my braille forum or i'm not getting my dots and dashes and we when we research it uh we find you know cindy hollis and and nancy becker we we find out that they're not officially being reflected as a member of ACB yet because you kind of is that two-step process, right? right. Maybe even a three-step process. They might join a chapter, which then that has to feed to a state affiliate that then has to feed it to national. And so it, I think it's going to make us rethink, um, you know, even maybe partially adjust our constitution that would allow maybe somebody to be, created as an ACB member and maybe not have to pay that $5, those $5 dues until the next certification cycle or something like that. Because right now, um, I think affiliates, uh, you know, everybody's driven by their own priorities. So uh, affiliates, uh, you know, don't, don't necessarily want to report those, those, I'm not trying to be difficult about it, but, but I think they can kind of hold off on reporting those new members because they're not ready to certify yet. And so as a consequence, we don't, we don't know whether our membership's growing, um, 
like we would hope it would. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Let's. Yeah. Uh, even though we haven't gotten through all of our all of our numbers, yeah. let's go ahead and open it and see if folks have any questions about 2020. Oh, sure. That'd be great. Hey, Brian, you should be able to unmute. One of the things that strikes me about 2020 is, yes, the community building was pretty spectacular. Actually, uh, there seemed to be more generic. Um, uh, benefit of membership but through association. There frequently has been uh, those who have the wherewithal to get together with other people. Uh, here in Massachusetts, if you were in the Boston area, public transportation is there, so you can get to meetings and those kind of things. But if you got out into the western part of the state, transportation was uh, near and dear uh, out there. Mm-hmm. So now it doesn't seem to matter much where in the state you live. You can be as active a member living in, you know, a backwater as you do, you know, living in the hub, as it were here. And I think that is going to do well for us over time. Also, I think that the very fact that what we are primarily is disembodied voices uh, means that there's less distinction by way of age. Uh, I think that a meeting is just as likely to have active young people as older people or people in between. Uh, it's kind of a leveler in that regard, and I think that's all all to the good. What I am concerned about is all the things that need to be done in education and rehabilitation to deal with the realities of not just COVID, but the changes in our general society going forward is working from home a is is that employment in an integrated environment uh you know we've we've had trouble in years past on this whole idea of uh if you work in an office where They've put the blind people who work for that particular company together for sake of the technology they require to to do their job. Well, that's not an integrated setting. So, mm-hmm. sorry, that's not real employment. What, uh, what do you think, now, Dan? It, well, what happens I, when I, you're working from home? Yeah, I, it, well, you know, it's funny. I uh, uh, also have the opportunity to serve as a member of the board of directors of Lighthouse Central Florida. And, mm-hmm. you know, one um, – and the, it, there may be one or maybe the one of two or just maybe the, the only one of the the uh, lighthouses in Florida that kind of is associated with NIB and, and offers, you know, a, a Ability One program. And part of that was they, uh, you know, uh, have, a, have a call center, which they had a contract with the um, – Economic Employment Opportunity Division of, of of the state of Florida, which of course handled unemployment claims, and so when you know when the pandemic hit, they immediately came to Lighthouse and asked them if they could double uh, the number of of seats they offered in their call center for uh, for the department, and and they did, but a couple of things. Um, have happened uh, because of that. And I think back to your, your bigger point there, Brian, one, they 
do not allow, quote unquote, because of security reasons uh, for uh, the call center agents to work remotely. They have to work, um, you know, in the call center building itself. So, you know, it's caused the lighthouse to expand into their break rooms and, you know, any place they could find space to, you know, to add 30 or 40 more agents. And, and so here we are, you know, a, 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 a blind, you know, a lighthouse serving the blind who's trying to employ blind people. And we're almost creating a disincentive for them to work because of the transportation hurdles for them to get there. And so, you know, is there an opportunity to advocate with the state of Florida and say, you know, if, if, you know, agents that are working to provide that same function for reservations for Universal Studios or for Disney or for, uh, you know, the Cleveland Clinic, you know, uh, why, why can't those same agents work remotely for, you know, um, for the uh, EEO? And so I think it's really, it, it brings back this whole thing that the world is going to change forever and, are we going to be left behind as part of that? I think there's amazing opportunity. Now they've come back and want to double, they want to double the call center again. Wow. You know, which could take them to 150 employees in the call center. But, you know, two challenges. One, how do you have the facilities to handle that? And then two, the second area that's coming when you talked about gainful integrated employment is the other thing that's happening there is the recruiting efforts to be able to find that many um, trained blind and visually impaired people to handle those positions. And, 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 and who are prepared to, to uh, take as many hours to make the training viable and then yep. who, are, who are prepared to... Um, who are prepared to to take the risks that are involved inherently in using public transportation, yep. and uh, and a range of other things. So, you know, I I don't think the choices are as as broad as that. Mister Brian, thank you so much. And Brian, hey, thank happy you. birthday! You know, yeah, exactly. thank you very much. Yeah, I just joined the ranks of of uh, the sixty five and older. So, well, it's right. I, I, older I blind program. That's for me. <laughs> I just I just hit another milestone because I just turned seventy five. So oh, there you well, go. Thank congratulations, you Paul. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Miss um, Katie. Who else we got? I'm Sheila. Sheila. Hello, gentlemen. Ms. Young, how are you? I had to call in. I don't really have a question, but the Brian's point was very um, well taken and. We all have been fighting for integrated employment because I'm sorry if you're working, you should be um, accomplished and accredited for that. But anyway, I just had to call in, Paul. It's so good to hear you back. And I'm just so happy that Tuesday Topics is back. Me too. And Sheila is one of the people who talked to me a week ago. Yeah. So she knows what a difference there is. I know. (laughs) What a difference a day makes. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you, Sheila. And I just I just had to say that, you know, you were two of my favorite Florida people. And you know, I just 2020 was a very challenging year for everyone. FCB was on the cutting edge and 
Um, we were going to be on the cutting edge again this year. So we, we were the um, we were the first um, affiliate to try to do a hybrid board meeting and succeed. And we did, so, and we're doing yeah. a hybrid convention, and we're going to succeed. We're going to make we it are. happen. So, we are. But anyway, I just wanted to say hello, and it's so good to, see, to hear you back. Hey, Sheila, why we've uh-huh. got you. Um, uh-huh. I saw a, a post you had, I think it was either yesterday or today, uh-huh. uh, but about the whole distribution of the COVID vaccine and the challenges that that's putting forward for our community. So I know – here in Orange County, we've talked about, I mean, talked about this. The, the primary distribution center in Orange County is the convention center, which is, you know, conveniently located, you know, 20 miles out of town. Which is uh, not accessible. It's not convenient for a it, blind person because it, you, you can't easily get to it. No, and you have to do it in a car. Uh-huh. You know, I, I, my, my sister and I took my parents out there two weeks ago. So the whole process is is all geared for vehicles. You go through, uh, you know, a a queuing process in your mm-hmm. vehicle. Then you mm-hmm. drive into a garage setting, and they send you up to a parking spot where they you roll down your window. Then they evaluate you, give you your shot. Then you go out of the parking garage into another parking spot where you're where you wait for your allotted twenty or thirty minutes, and then you travel off. And so, I was telling Leslie, you know, how in the world it, it, it'd be like a three-hour Uber ride to do that? It, it would be just well, yeah, absolutely yeah. nuts, you know? you know. And so, our executive committee is who brought it to me at one of our meetings last week, and. They said, we need to take initiative here because this is not a good plan. And how are right. we going to do it? Not, not well, to mention the, the accessible website where you have to, you know, make your appointment and all right. of that. Or, you know. or the inaccessible, inaccessible website. website or, I right. say. or the yeah. fact that you only know about that inaccessible website if, if you happen to read print media since it's not being broadcast very widely in, in uh, audio mm-hmm. modes. Right. Yeah. So, so we are starting to um, create advocacy on that. So let's hope we can get there. So. I'm going to be asked a question. Ask a question. All right. But well, anyway, thank bye, you, Sheila. Thanks. Okay. Thank hey, and happy and, birthday to you, Sheila. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the next lady who's up? Yes, Chris. Chris. Hello. Hi. Um, Hi, Chris. I'm going to go back into the community calls part of this. Um, because I remember one of the big highlights was the first community call that I was on. And that was in May, or um, actual, yeah, in May, mm-hmm. late May. And it was about blind people who, so many blind people who were living totally alone. Mm-hmm. in apartments and it made me remember back to when many of the um, people that taught me especially in um, in the what would what was then called state services for the blind right. when we went to our our orientation and training stuff said you need to live alone in your own apartment with nobody. You need to be totally independent. And I, I came onto those calls. I never did that, by the way. Mm. But I came onto those calls and 
so many people who had been quarantined, locked down, the social distancing and everything, and, and everybody was confused. And they were saying, it's awful. I, we can't get, go anywhere. Mm-hmm. We don't know anyone really well. You know, we live, um, I live alone. This one lives alone. That one maybe knows somebody who might be able to help out. Mm-hmm. But I, I've, I've been thinking that the community calls have made a very big, beautiful space in many of our lives because we get to fill the space with more than just me or more than just whoever the person alone is. Mm -hmm. But that was the way it was done in 1968. Right. One of the the things, though, that that, that I marveled at and and thought a lot about, and by the way, um, Katie, you're welcome to contribute. That's kind of the rule in Tuesday topics that <laughs> that everybody is everybody's allowed. But um, what I was going to say is, I don't know how I would have survived ten years ago because of the difference in terms of technology. I mean, there are yeah. so mm-hmm. many more yeah. things that we can do now that we right. just yeah. couldn't do then. Yep. That that made surviving alone much more palatable and possible. Oh yeah, with everything from the uh, well, I mean, just all the smart devices and your ability to get to content and and you know the easy access to books and all of uh-huh. that type of stuff. But then also the apps like you know DoorDash and and exactly. those that allow you to you know acquire meals and in and in groceries and yep. and just uh, you know on and on. It, we are so much more connected now. And Chris, I do agree with you. And I think that's always. Independence is is very very important, but we live in a connected community, right? And so, it right. sometimes I think growing up we took that fearsome desire for independence maybe a little too far, and maybe we're learning we, that there's a there's a balance there. I think yeah. our teachers, I think some of our teachers took it a little too far too. Yes, mm-hmm. and I I absolutely yeah. think that even even mm-hmm. though I was a rehab teacher, I never said that to my folks. Oh, good. But what I, what I did say <laughs> is yeah. is you need to optimize, you need to optimize your independence in so far as you can. Mm-hmm. You don't have to live alone to do that, but you have to demonstrate to me that you've got a method that will enable you to survive, right? Uh, even if some of your supports go away. Well, my my yeah. thing, my the thing that really really uh, i think the community calls has done right, has yeah. helped us to think in terms of interdependence that's correct mm-hmm. and, and it's also it's also enabled mm-hmm. us i think um i think to build supports for each other um, yes which which is which is something that would not have happened given the state of long distance calling say 10 years ago right um so i mean another perfect storm that actually enabled us to make use of what was clearly a disadvantage to create uh, to create an amazing capacity of an organization and its members to create a community where folks truly felt involved. Mm-hmm. And I don't notice any of us saying, "Let's keep away from sighted people." You know, no. this is our place, and nobody gets to be <laughs> no. here except that, blind people. That's you know? that's, tw- so. that's twenty. That's twenty twenty one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah chris yeah. thank you so much thank you all right all right excellent so katie let's take one more all right elizabeth elizabeth oh elizabeth 
see which one. So um, I know that for the past um, while, we the ACBS focused on audio description, and and that's gone a long way. It's really nice, but there are so many places and web pages, apps, and other things that are inaccessible and will not be accessible until big time um, uh, strives and they've been made to do that among them as part of the state of Florida. Um, I will let you know that my husband works for Department of Children and Families, the abuse hotline, which was a call center. They all went remote. Um, I can't work for them because they're uh, one of their systems that they use is inaccessible. So that's why I'm not working now. But um, and so are there plans in the future to help people advocate for that? Because it's kind of like a bottomless pit. Yeah. Good question, Liz. Yeah. Mr. Spoon. Sure. And well, and I think, we, you know, we we do do that. We have we have, you know, had uh, structured negotiations and lawsuits against you know, several entities related to digital accessibility. Right. But, but I think, Liz, you hit it right, the nail right on the head that said, you know, the way to solve this problem is, is going to one, – one, one lawsuit or one structured negotiation at a time – you know, we'll never get there. They they create yeah. websites quicker than it's, we can than we can, you know, fight them. And so, uh, I saw that the accessibility board uh, is working. They just kind of have lift, uh, created the you know a draft uh, of WCAG 3.0. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think what hopefully we have a real opportunity with the Department of Justice this year and a new administration to really work for once and for all to get a, you know, an approved DOJ standard uh, for uh, website and and digital accessibility. Because I think that is really the first step so that we have, you know, DOJ saying this is the standard that everybody must work to. Now, that's not going to mean that they're going to do it tomorrow, but now yeah. that gives us a real platform to, you know, to to have the conversations. Uh, yeah, have we, have, we begun have, any, have we begun any interaction yet, Dan, with, uh, with DOJ or uh, uh, is we, it a little too early? It, it's a little too early, although I will say uh, at our on our at our legislative seminar coming up uh, in February on the twenty second and twenty third, the president's meeting will be on the twenty first of February, and the legislative seminar will be on the twenty second and twenty third. All virtual this year. I, I'll put a little oh, plug right. in for twenty dollars twenty dollar registration fee. You get access to the entire weekend of programs. But one of the uh, blocks that we're going to really take a deep dive into uh, is digital accessibility. So that is a, a three-hour breakout session, I believe, on the, on the second day. Uh, we're, uh, you know, we've got invites out to several folks from the Department of Justice and, uh, you know, we'll see where we get to, but uh, we also are bringing in, you know, uh, members of industry, and we will also have uh, the new um, 
the director of the accessibility board will be uh, will be a keynote keynote speaker for us on Tuesday, the twenty third. So I think we're going to have some opportunity to get our message out there, and uh, you know, stay tuned. I'm I'm sure it's going to be. Well, I know it's a very uh, it's one of our five pillars uh, for advocacy this year, and uh, you know, something I hope we can really make some significant movement and strides towards in uh, 2021. Excellent. Yep. All right. Anisio. Oh, wonderful to hear your voice. Uh, you were missed. Uh, thank you. Um, I wanted to just follow up on what Sheila said regarding the vaccine. I just came back from Publix <clears throat> in St. Augustine to uh, where I, I had my first shot. Shows how old I am, I guess. Um, but the, the, even though the, the appointment process online is accessible, I, what I found it is that you have to be so quick, uh, mm-hmm. to go from one field to the other, you know, and after you finish all the fields, you'll, they'll say, oh, no more appointments here. So you have to go to another one. So it really, in, in a sense, even though it's accessible, it's not usable. Yeah. The other piece, even though <clears throat> we live in, I live in Flagler, <clears throat> Palm Coast, um, we ended up uh, finding an appointment, being assigned to a Publix in uh, St. Augustine, which if I didn't have my sighted wife driving, it would have been totally inaccessible for me, and I would have had to cancel their appointment or whatever. So in effect, the the whole process is really not only cumbersome, it is for everybody, but it's really almost unusable for us. Yeah, we, we really need to get it rolled out to the point. And I think this is coming. You know, I heard the, the president speak again tonight on the news. I, I, you know, it may be a couple of months away, but I think we are going to get to the point where it's going to be administered at your neighborhood, uh, you know, pharmacy. pharmacy. Right. And that's right. really where we need to all get to. Yeah. 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 Very again, good. Thanks, thanks, thanks. And Paul, welcome back. Thank you. And Anisio, thank you. Um, I, I think your point is really well taken, but I think, the real issue is it would appear that at least in, in it, from the evidence of this evening that the one group that is that that is not being advantaged anywhere are are folks who are trying to get the vaccine. And, and it really doesn't just apply to blind people. It applies to everybody because, I mean, it's not that much less convenient for others than it is for blind people to have to go 20 or 30 miles just to get a vaccination. Oh yeah, right, my parent, yeah. my parents who are going to be eighty nine this year. I mean, they don't drive anymore. I mean, there's no way they could have gotten there without right. without my sister. Yeah, right. And you have a lot of sighted older people that you know without with, with the not, not really good technology skills that can't yeah. can this. No, no, yeah. no way they'd have been able to get on that website and make an no. appointment. Yep. Right. No. Very good. All right, thank thank you. you. Yep. So. 2021. We have one more hand. Oh, Paul, we do you want to take? Go ahead. Okay. Let's do it. All right. We are going to say hello to Terry Pacheco. Hey, Terry. Uh, Paul, you know how good I feel about how wonderful you sound. Thank you. And how glad I am that you're back. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I think that there's, I'd like to make a couple of points. Um, one of which was somebody was talking earlier about, uh, I guess it's with the, one of the lighthouses in Florida, yes. um, not being able to, people not being able to telework. Um, yes. That's an issue that I think we need to look at 
somebody needs to look at that issue. I believe, because I've been told by at least one of the other uh, NIB organizations, in their contracts with they I lost her. This cannot work, will not work from home, that they will not be able to telework. I know that happened with the Department of Education because their contract would not allow it. And that's because that was an, a choice of the lighthouses when they created those contracts. And that, I think, needs to be something to be looked at definitely to change. Yeah. Um, hmm. One of the things that I think has been a great advantage with uh, the community calls this year is how many people these calls have taught to not be afraid of Zoom, not to actually learn. I think there are so many, you know, especially where I do my most of my calling with older blind people who started out with, oh, I don't do, I don't Zoom. I don't do Zoom. There, some of them are running calls now. They're hosting, exactly. they're facilitating. Yeah. It's, I think we've opened up a new world to a lot of those people at this point. Oh. Uh, they didn't do Facebook. They're doing it now. <laughs> I think one of, the questions, one of the questions that's still out there, though, is because of the degree to which <clears throat> excuse me, Zoom and um, Teams and other meetings like it have taken over, those people who had learned to use conference calling are kind of being left behind. And there is a, what's appearing to be a larger group than we thought of folks who don't have access to good long distance and who don't have access to, uh, to Zoom either. Um, and somehow we're going to have to figure out a way to get those folks on board. I think, I think you're right. But I think that number has shrunk considerably. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, which I think is also a very it, good point. One, and one of the nice issues, features that I've noticed is, you know, at least free conference calling and, and, you know, free conference call pro and some of this, depending on your provider, we're starting to charge you so much a minute to participate in the free conference call right. numbers. And yes. one thing at least I've noticed so far is I haven't heard of anybody that's having that same limitation, you know, for Zoom. You know, if you can... Uh, there's no there. I haven't seen any surcharges being added on right. for Zoom calls. Right. No, no there, that's, there aren't. That's I yeah. think because of the phone numbers that Zoom is using. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. It, it, that's, that's a right. whole different part of the setup on of, of Zoom's setup. I think. Hey Terry. The other issue, yes. Uh, the other thing I think that was really interesting with, with the point you made around the community calls, because I asked Cindy to kind of do a little analysis on our community events. You know, we, we, we're doing about 300 a month now, and about 10% of them are hosted by our affiliates, about 30, uh, 30 a month, and another 10 or 15 are, are hosted by our, our committees, and then there's some that are done by, you know, our vendors and outside partners. But but easily 75% of our Zoom calls, the facilitators are just our own members and friends, just individuals that are stepping up because they have an interest or a desire in a certain area. So I, you are 100% right. It has just created so many uh, new opportunities for people to kind of stretch their wings and take a risk and try things. And, uh, and I think they're being rewarded. 
I think you're right. That's what I did. I, I when somebody yeah. first showed me Zoom, I was like, "What is that?" Now I'm on. I don't know how many calls. And as of today, I'm hosting for work. I'm hosting two Teams calls starting next week. I'm still See. working on learning it, but that's another story. Yeah, it one is. Other issue, one other point that I really wanted to bring up that I have felt for 20 years, and I still think that it's a great resource that we are not using. And that is our own membership when it comes to things that websites and audio description that's either not being described or that's inaccessible. And that's that our own members really, really should have a mechanism. And I think our advocacy and governmental affairs, our advocacy person, anyhow, Mm -hmm. should be putting together a program where I'm watching a TV show and it's not described and I want it to be, I should be able to send an email to that company and to this and to their sponsors saying, I want to be able to, to have audio description on this and I can't. And so I can't necessarily know what you're, all the information about what you're selling on this show mm-hmm. and, I, and, and that kind of thing. We have never really used our members' outreach as a, as an absolute as a market for these companies, and I think that's something that we've totally missed the boat on. But I think mm-hmm. it's something that we absolutely could do something with. Hmm. I've argued this point for years, and now you got it too, Dan. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and we're starting to see this. You know, we um, I, I don't know if you've been to the um, ADP uh, webpage recently, but we've got a new page up there where uh, Procter & Gamble, you know, is doing a lot of audio-described commercials now. Yeah, and they're, they very, yeah. they're very proud of them. And uh, Subaru, I mean, there's many, uh, you know, um, many corporations that are starting to do audio-described uh, commercials. And I think they're seeing that there's a market there, not, not just for blind and visually impaired people, but their family members and, you know, their exactly. friends. And uh, so I... I, exactly. I just continue doing... to believe that this this is going to you know that 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 snowball is going to keep rolling down the hill. Yeah, and, that's and I think we should be we should be doing it as far as accessible websites are concerned as well. Yeah, yeah, agree. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I mean there there are a number of us who who've said um, for a while down that we, that that you can sometimes get stuff with sugar more easily than you can with um, with acid. So yeah, would would we actually accomplish anything by creating uh, an unaccessible website of the year award. I like it. Ooh, yeah. I, I, that's that's something we should ask our uh, information access committee about. Why why couldn't we have some uh, some accessibility awards that get given yep. out in different yep. areas, like we do with uh, you know audio description or the board exactly. of publications? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. I like it. Very good. Cor- All right. Corporations show up when you give them an award. <laughs> they do. <laughs> Most people like to be great. recognized. That's right. Thank, thank, you, Terry, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Great to have you both on. Thank uh, you. So, Mr. Dan, 2021, yep. let's start with the budget. Mm-hmm. How does the 2021 budget compare with 2020? Well, it's uh, the, our budget for this year is uh, about one point. Uh, eight million, which is uh, up a little bit from uh, from last year. Uh, we've, um, like I said, we we ended the year uh, in in the black, 
And I think, um, you know, what we were able to accomplish in the budget, and it's kind of funny, you know, again, with the whole the, the whole COVID environment, there's certain things that, you know, are down, like, uh, you know, our staff travel is way down this year, as you might imagine, yeah. <laughs> attending, uh, you know, the World Blind Union conferences and those types yeah. of things, you know, so. Pre- so presidential yeah. travel, too, I bet. <laughs> presidential travel is, is, is non-existent. That's right. Yeah. yeah you know, Zoom, Zoom travel for all of us. Um, yes. So, so travel is way down. Um, on the other hand, we've really been able to kind of reach out and put um, – a couple of new positions in place that uh, we're very excited about. So, you know, kind of the strategic plan that we had in 2016 mm-hmm. kind of called for us to really roll out uh, three key new positions. Uh, one was uh, membership services coordinator, and that was, you know, now uh, about 16, 17 mm-hmm. months ago, we hired Cindy. And then that was followed up by last year hiring a full-time uh, director of development, and we've uh, you know brought on Tony uh, in in March uh, March first of last year, and he hit the ground running. He yep. spent his first two weeks researching the PPP programming and making sure we could apply for that, and working to kind of solidify our sponsors for the convention and working on new new grant proposals, uh, and. Then our third pillar was really bringing in a communications and marketing uh, coordinator, and that position got approved this year to start in the second quarter, uh, beginning of April. Uh, so here over the next, uh, probably at right after the DC Leadership Conference, they'll they'll be a posting there, and we'll go through the whole interview process and and hopefully have a new communications uh, coordinator in place. Now- We've had somebody doing it as a as kind of an intern, and, and would that be the the job that um, Anthony has been doing? Well, Anthony kind of did it, you know, part of it. He, you know, was, yes. was a valuable asset and did it part time. This is really kind of a, um, you know, a a full time position. It, it will have, uh, you know, a couple of, uh, uh, you know, our our. Um, ACB radio will kind of roll up underneath there uh, as, um, uh, you know, as, as well as, you know, some of our, our social media efforts. And so I think it's going to be a, uh, you know, it's going to be a, an integral member uh, of the staff. And I think what we learn over and over again as we bring on new new folks is the amount of uh, just integration that takes place between the different work streams, yes. you know, advocacy versus communications versus, uh, you know, recruitment and member de- membership and affiliate development and, and all of these type things. There's so much uh, intersectionality between these different uh, programs that we have going on. And so uh, I think it's exciting to bring that resource in, in, up to speed as well as we're going to hire a full-time um, administrative assistant for the Alexandria office. Uh, what we've, you know, as we brought in our Cisco phone system and we really, through our information referral and peer support uh, program, really have started to kind of track uh, the number of touches that our ACB offices receive each month. And I don't know why, but it kind of surprised me when I started seeing the reports coming out. And we have over 2,000 calls a month uh, to our offices, which is, you know, 24, 25,000 
calls a year. So there's a lot of people reaching out, uh, you know, newly blind, people who need access to different services. And I think what we've learned is right now we have little pieces and parts of folks that try to, you know, pick up the phone and kind of coordinate that outreach. Mm-hmm. And I, so I, I think with an administrative assistant, we're going to have somebody that, you know, can answer that phone each time it rings, uh, uh, you know, hopefully with some good education, answer a lot of the easy questions maybe right off the bat right. and then send them on to our advocacy specialist or our advocacy director or communications or wherever they need to go to hopefully, um, you know, inc- and continue to incru- improve that process. So that's, that's the second resource mm-hmm. that we've kind of put in the budget for this year. So I think those were two mm-hmm. fairly significant improvements. Uh, we're also challenging our new um, development uh, director this year uh, to, um, find $100,000 more of foundation grants. Uh, We've already got some, uh, we've got a portfolio out this year where we're applying for, I believe, $750,000 worth of grants. And we're hoping to to see an increase in that area. Uh, I think you all maybe have heard, but we've got the you know, get up and get moving campaign going this year related to health and wellness, uh, which ties in, you know, advocacy and exercise and social interaction. And, uh, and part of that is, you know, hopefully being able to generate, um, request out to foundations to uh, help support the uh, get up and get moving campaign. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you're going to see applications to larger corporations like Ford. Uh, We have a really good proposal in with the Gibney foundation right now for hopefully a resource to help Cindy with the community calls, uh, community events. So uh, from that standpoint, uh, I think it's pretty exciting to see the progress we've been able to make. And, and I think our thrift stores are going to make a pretty significant comeback this year. Excellent. So, yeah. So, one point eight million this year. The budget last year was uh, one point six, one point seven. So it's about a hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollars increase. Our our three year plan is to significantly grow our revenue to you know uh, to three million, which is going to be a you know. 60 70 percent increase so so a pretty strong move into the future um it's all kind of tied together if we can you know grow our membership grow our connections grow our marketing presence meet new partners you know it it all kind of builds on each other yeah it does it may be too early Mm -hmm. for you to answer this question definitively certainly but yeah um are are indications that um that our sponsors for convention are holding firm with that in spite of the fact that we're going virtual for the second year in a row? Far as I can tell, everybody seems, uh, you know, Tony is, uh, you know, obviously out communicating and Eric uh, Clark with our sponsors each day. Uh, we've already gotten a couple of, um, of sponsorships in for the 2021 convention, which is kind of earlier than normal. We've gotten uh uh, Microsoft and JP Morgan Chase have have committed, uh, so we're you know we're off in enrolling there uh, in our budget for the convention this year. We did put uh, you know uh, an increase of about uh, you know about fifty thousand dollars worth of hopefully sponsors coming back to our convention. 
So, so we have about three minutes before we get to eight o'clock. So mm-hmm. what I'd like to do is to ask you if there are any, any others, maybe one or two highlights that, um, that you'd like to focus on for 2021, and then we'll open it for a minute or two for a few questions, and then we'll talk about our last topic, which is the voter task force. Sure. So highlights for 2021. Again, I'm really excited about the fact that we are going to, um, uh, you know, have a virtual D.C. leadership conference this year, Foster Voice, Choice, and Community. Uh, I think it's exciting that, you know, for, again, for a $20 fee, you'll be able to participate in the entire uh, conference. I also think this is new for us, Paul. It'll be interesting, but I, I'm really excited to see how the Hill visits go with Zoom right. and doing them remotely. I believe we may find that instead of having 100 people on Capitol Hill, we may have four or 500 people on Capitol yes. Hill this year. Yep. So I yep. think it's a real opportunity for our rank-and-file members to get involved in in advocacy and see how the whole process works. Yep. Couldn't so, agree more. So yep. I'm, I'm very excited about that. Uh, of course, excited about our, you know, conference and convention this year. Again, it will be virtual, you know, July 16th through the 23rd. Uh, I think we're going to do some things there to improve the exhibit hall, but keep, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, programs uh, going that we did a year ago. Uh, We're going to move the banquet to Thursday night uh, because Friday uh, we're working. uh, We haven't gotten anything definitive yet, but we've got an outreach outreach to NBC and Tom Lukowski and those folks. We'd really uh, like to be able to kind of have a a program where we launch uh, into the opening night of the Olympics as we close out our 2021 convention. So would that not be cool? Would that be kind of, would that be just, that would be so cool, you know, and, uh, and then I know we're going to get into it, but we're going to talk, you know, we're, we're working very hard to do elections at this year's uh, convention. And, and, uh, and so that's, I think, an exciting challenge for this year. The other thing I think we cannot, we cannot stress enough is how important we've seen, uh, you know, we didn't get to talk through all of 2020 last year, but the social justice uh the the bias right. the, the we have really dedicated a lot in this year's uh budget with the board to really take that next step towards diversity equity and inclusion and really understanding you know uh sexual harassment right. and and what we need to do to be a culture that doesn't react to events but you know, prevents these type of events from happening. So we're going to see, you know, training of our board and our staff. Uh, One of the key things we're going to have at the beginning of the DC leadership conference at the president's meeting is a, uh, a session in at the beginning with our multicultural affairs committee on diversity and mentoring. Uh, We're going to have board training on diversity and on sexual harassment on a Friday workshop. So, uh, we're not there yet. We're learning every day. One thing we we have learned through all of this is that we're actually going to also outreach and get some professional consulting help in these areas because in many cases, we just 
we don't know what we don't know, you know, and so uh, we we need some help to make sure that our organization approaches all of this in the in the right way. Excellent, thank you, sir, Miss mm-hmm, Katie. Sure. Let's take let's take um, three questions. To Mr. David Trot. David Trot. Yeah. David, anybody on these shows? <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, Paul, it's, it's, it's great to have you back. Katie, it's great to hear your voice. And Dan, always, it's good to talk with you. Sure. Uh, I just wanted to touch a little bit. Uh, we were talking about the great things that we did in 2020 to get through, and, and we did. Uh, but the greatest thing that happened for us in 2020 probably was the participation of our membership and our fundraisers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, yes. the raffle made history with the highest ever. The auction was way up, up, and the winter auction was up. And then we had a new event on Christmas Eve, uh, New Year's Eve, you know, that, that raised us quite a bit of money. And this, this helps do all of the things that you're talking about here that we're doing that is so good. And it's all in thanks to you, our members. And uh, we would be remiss if, if we didn't really talk about a little bit, Dan, if you'd elaborate on how great an effort it was because we really moved forward with these events this year. Oh, we really, really did, David. Thank you for mentioning that. I, you know, our monthly monetary support program, I think we added 70 or 75 new members to that and just had an explosion of people, uh, you know, willing to contribute of their, of their hard fought treasure to help yeah. the American and, Council of the Blind. And, and David, David keeps pointing guns at me and saying, you have to increase yours. You, you have to. <laughs> that's right, Paul. You know, you know if, you, if you, the uh, monthly monetary support uh, committee is uh, with ACB, of course, is giving away a smart television uh, at the DC oh, wow. leadership conference Uh-oh. this year for Looks anybody. Like someone named Katie Frederick needs to sign up. <laughs> yeah. For anybody yep. who uh, <laughs> increases their, uh, pledge yeah. or may it becomes a new MMS uh, donor. And so that's exciting. And it um, is, and boy, the, the walk, the walk did over $92,000 yes. this year. I mean, what a, what a great job that all virtual, just yep. absolutely fantastic. Pretty impressive. Like, like David said, the two auctions combined brought in over $50,000, which is, wow. and, and you know, there's like an auction every weekend now. You know, I think that's another thing that's really exploded. You know, every affiliate has an auction. And every time I talk to an affiliate president, it's the best auction they've ever had. So, you know, the national outreach, I was on the the Minnesota affiliate call, uh, convention call with Katie and others uh, this last weekend. And boy, their auction, they had like 30-something items. And I I heard from Janet brought in over like $2,200. So they're they're thrilled, you know. Yeah. Uh, so the auctions have just done fantastic. Our raffle, we sold more raffle tickets, you know, Braille form raffle tickets than we've ever sold, almost $24,000 worth. Uh, so it it just really amazing. was. A, our members were so, so kind to us. Yep. And sponsorships for the convention. We had, I think, over $20,000 of individual sponsorships at we the did. convention. Yep. Yep. Just that was amazing. Great. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, David. Thank you so much, sir. Right, th- thanks, Paul. Yep. Good to have you back. Yep. See you, David. Miss Katie. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, next, we have Penny Reader. 
Ah, Penny Reader. I tell you, we got we got forty uh, percent of the board of publications on <laughs> yeah, the call. Here. <laughs> the, the four of us get together here every uh, right. first Tuesday of every month, don't we, Penny? We yes. Do. Paul, welcome back. You sound so much better than you did the last time I talked to you. <laughs> and you're, so no glad you're feeling better. Yep. I just wanted to say that um, I think 2020 was a year that ACB became the organization I always knew we could be. Um, yes. We have like become a community, a real community that cares about each other. And yep. um, people learn from each other because we all have empathy for one another and we can remember or we can imagine. And, mm-hmm. and, and to David's point, I think that that has paid dividends in how our members who now feel so included uh, really want to step up and support the organization that's supporting them. So yep. uh, I don't know which came first, but I just want to compliment ACB. Um, I think we, we're, we're all working hard to improve our communications and kind of bring them into the 21st century and and uh, and really acknowledge things about ethnicity yep. and diversity that we need to know and, yep. uh, and to support one another. So that's all I wanted to say. I'm just... I'm feeling really good about ACB, and thank you, yeah. guys. Well, well, Penny, Penny, hang on for one minute. But and I, I, Terry was on earlier, and I just—if you all haven't heard yet—I want to share with you that the, the you know, fostering voice choice and community and the DC 2020 Leadership Conference is going to be dedicated to Charlie Crawford. I did hear that, I and I, so I am so happy about that. Oh, I had that. not, so, I, yeah. so I'm excited about that. Yes, yeah, so Charlie had given here to bask in the glory. <laughs> <laughs> I know we must know somewhere. Okay. Yeah, so that yeah, is. Uh, Thank you. I'm, I'm so uh, I'm so glad that uh, we're going to have an opportunity to call me last week, to, and she was really excited, Eric. Yeah, yeah. T- to honor uh, Charlie in such a, yeah. you know, so a, a visible and meaningful way. Yeah, right. Charlie taught all of us how to advocate. I mean, most of us on this call have learned from Charlie. So, right. Thank you. Sure, yeah. yeah. Take care, you guys. And bye, you bye, Penny. Yeah. Thanks, Penny. I mean, right. Paul, wasn't that during your administration that Charlie became the it, it executive director? Yeah, it absolutely was. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That 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 I persuaded him to come and work for ACB and take a maybe a 20 or 25% salary cut. Oh, well, yeah. did he, did he thank you for that uh, later? <laughs> he has, he has, um, he has not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'm going to create just a little bit of background down if it's okay. And then I'm going to turn it over to you to, to, to sure. really expand on it. So everybody I think knows that one of the issues that came up last year at our convention was that, for a variety of reasons, uh, we weren't able to hold elections. Some of us didn't love it very much um, because we should have no longer been president of organizations, which we continue to have to run. Um, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, but the most important thing uh, about it was there, there was a real, a real feeling coming out of last year's convention that we had to really take seriously um, how best ACB should deal with the convention this year. We had mm-hmm. some other organizations out there in our universe who are registered in the same place as we are, who alleged and avowed that it was perfectly possible under the, the current laws and, and other special things, which Dan will talk about, to do voting. But those were time limited and we didn't know what's going to happen and still don't. And Dan will probably talk a little bit about that. But even if you get that far, how do you vote? What's the, what's the right way to do it? 
Some folks are using telephone voting. Some folks are using um, simply um, simply registration and PIN numbers. There are a whole number of different options which are being utilized by a wide variety of organizations. So how do you how do you go ahead and maximize your ability to handle that? Then you get to the to the whole question of do you try to differentiate between those who are at the convention and all members? And if you do try to do that, um, are you likely to create uh, a major and uh, inevitable uh, brouhaha when you're trying to do it? And then last but not least in terms of the introduction, that will let Dan talk, talk us through it. Then mm-hmm. it seems to me you have a final question. And that, that final question is, even if you can get through all of these things, how do you do time allocation within the convention so as not to take away the whole program and at the same time offer an appropriate way for people to vote that allows them to be aware of what's going on and at the same time gives them options to handle complex things like uh, an election where there's more than two people running? Mr. Spoon. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Edwards. <laughs> so I think you've done a really eloquent job of defining the problem. <laughs> so, um, so like any kind of complex problem, you know, or, or uh, you, you kind of take it one piece at a time, right? Because, yes. you know, the whole thing can be really very daunting. So It can. So the first thing was, I think, our, our, our leadership and, vor, and, and board uh, heard very clearly from our membership uh, at last year's convention that we needed to work as hard as we could to do uh, voting at uh, that the 2021 convention. And uh, I think our ACB leadership and board really you know, we are a democratic organization. We want to to be able to do voting. So the premise was, how do we make it, you know, how can we make this happen? So the first thing was understanding just the legality of, uh, you know, are, you know, do we have the authority to do voting? Um, so we were kind of in a catch-22 situation of the way our constitution and bylaws are written, they were really, you know, prescriptive to having an in-person convention. Yes. Uh, you know, even requiring in our constitution that it, you know, we're, we're secret paper ballots and, and these type of things. Uh, and so uh, the first thing we did, we, we are incorporated in the district of Columbia. So we had uh, first, we put a, uh, this year, we uh, I went ahead and formed an ad hoc voting task force uh, and uh, put a, a very uh, diversified kind of experienced group of people uh, on the task force. Pat Sheehan is our uh, task force uh, chair, and Jeff Tom is our co-chair. And then uh, we have, oh gosh, I don't know that I'll go through the whole list, but about 12 uh, other individuals that are part of the task force from, uh, you know, different backgrounds, uh, legal backgrounds, uh, some representing affiliates, uh, committees, uh, you know, trying, uh, you know, young people, old people, you know, just trying to, 
uh, I should say seasoned people, uh, you know, just trying to, um, you know, really kind of uh, put a a coalition together, a task force that could really look into the the problem. And so uh, we really kind of broke it down into, to uh, Pat and team have broken it down into three different areas. And and they're actually having another voting task force uh, call tonight, which I will jump on after uh, Tuesday topics here. And so first it was legally what, what can we do? And being incorporated in the District of Columbia, we are subject to the DC non-for-profit code uh, of incorporation. And uh, I think it kind of did not ha- had not happened by March when we were making the decision to go virtual last year. But but over time, the the DC code allows the mayor of the District of Columbia to put an emergency rule in place uh, when you have uh, an emergency, a a pandemic like we have right now, for example, that can allow a non-for-profit to, uh, quote-unquote, kind of ignore their constitution and bylaws and hold an annual business meeting uh, which is required uh, once a year by the DC code and uh, be able to hold membership uh, elections. And so um, the mayor um, puts this, uh, she, she uh, had, has had the emergency decoration in place now for, oh gosh, I don't know exactly when it started, uh, but she's extended it multiple times. I, uh, I'd have to uh, check with Pat and team to get the exact right date, but I think right now she's extended it through, yeah, I believe it's March of 2021. Uh, we, we have every expectation that the, with the state of the pandemic, that will continue to be extended uh, through our July uh, convention. So, we don't know that for a fact, but we feel fairly confident uh, in having talked to her office that, uh, you know, that that is something that, you know, that will happen. So we're going under the assumption that legally we can do business and hold an annual convention against, uh, you know, the constitu- our, our ACB constitution and bylaws for that little Hurt, piece of it. Hurdle one, perhaps, by past. Good job. Hurdle one yeah. passed, uh, we hope. And yep. now, and now, of course, uh, you, you had mentioned this earlier. What, what it does require, it, it has to be uh, an open membership meeting. Uh, it's not, uh, you know, it, it has to be open for all um, members of record as of your uh, rec- record date, which is 30 days before your annual meeting. So it'd right. be 30 days before July 16th, which is probably June 16th. Um, and then uh, so anybody... If we, take, mm-hmm. if, we take, if we take two organizations, um, yes. the Braille Revival League uh-huh. and LUA, Mm-hmm. Um, the Braille Revival League is incorporated in Washington, D.C., okay. and therefore presumably would fall under these rules. However, right. Lua uh, is incorporated in, in, in some place like Bloomington, Indiana, so <laughs> I'm assuming they would not. Well, they wouldn't fall under the D.C. Uh, code. Yeah. Now, whether Indiana has a similar exception or not, I don't know. Yeah. Somebody would have we, to research that. We, yeah. we, we checked, and they don't. They don't. But, okay. Uh, <laughs> but nevertheless, 
Okay. But, uh, what I'm doing for our folks is is pointing out that it's that it's not a slam dunk for every organization, even if even if we go this far, and that's and correct. that's not a criticism at all of, of of what you guys are doing. Right. But anyway, let me shut up. So so we believe we will have the legal authority to hold um, to hold elections and hold an I should say hold an annual business meeting of which right. elections would be part of that. Uh, so then. The next thing that the task force has kind of taken on is, well, what, you know, what all do we, what all do we want to be part of this particular um, annual business meeting? And so, there were a couple of pillars really at our first meeting that that the the team unanimously, you know, kind of agreed uh, that that made sense. And and one is even though maybe we have the um, authority. That given these unique circumstances, other than constitutional or bylaw changes that would allow us to to vote, this is not the convention to open up the constitution and bylaw for mass uh, bylaws for massive constitutional amendments. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really, it seems like you know when we meet in Omaha next year. This is the year to kind of plan uh, any constitutional and, and bylaw amendments that we'd like to do, but we just feel like the, the group felt like this wasn't the this isn't the year to start doing wholesale changes to the constitution and bylaws. Although some people would like to do that, um, so that's kind of the first thing that everybody uh, coalesced around is let's try to. Use the Constitution and bylaws, the spirit of the ACB Constitution and bylaws, as much as we can as we go through this process. Uh, the second item was resolutions, and everyone felt, and, and you and I have had several conversations about this. That you know, with maybe the um, the you know couple of um, of changes that we really need to expand our board of directors meetings where we would actually uh, vote on resolutions to make sure everybody is is participating in those discussions that brought a resolution that we really believe that for the most part the resolutions process worked fairly well last year we had really good community calls we had a good set of resolutions and uh we had uh you know our board of directors went that was able to you know go through and approve i think almost all the resolutions right one or and two. for and for the record mm. i agree mm. with you yeah okay yeah. yeah and so i think uh the, the second thing we agreed is just because of logistics we we'd like to keep the resolutions process the same as we had it uh last year with those minor tweaks i'm um, happy with that yeah and then the third area then is then concentrating on elections uh and so again going back to our spirit of the ACB constitution and bylaws. We felt it was very important that every individual have a vote, uh, just like our constitution calls for, and that we continue to do the roll call vote. So we want to adhere to those principles. We have this year 13 elections. Uh, We have our five officers five board of directors positions that did not have a chance to be voted on last year and three board of publications directors positions. So that's potentially 13 different positions that we are going to have to 
uh, nominate and and elect uh, through our voting process uh, at the convention in 2021. So we've explored the idea that, you know, typically we wait to the last day of the convention uh, and, uh, you know, nominating happens on that kind of Monday Monday time frame, we announced the slate of nominations from the nominating committee. People, candidates have several days to campaign, you know, get their message out. And then we typically, a lot of times have had a candidate's town hall or forum there on that last evening. And then, and then, and then that final day of the convention, we do the elections. Um, What we believe this year is that we're going to, Doing it remotely, that's going to be almost impossible to try to push 13 elections into one day. Um, so we're um, looking at expanding the election process across uh, across the convention. Um, our our bylaws committee of you know like John John and Ray you know uh, but uh, uh, John McCann and um, and John Huffman and Ray Campbell. Uh, have all looked into the fact that there's nothing in our constitution uh, that prohibits us from having our nominating committee uh, meet a little earlier in our convention week. So we're thinking that we would do the nominating committee perhaps on that Saturday and Sunday before opening session on Sunday night. And then we would be able at our opening night session to, to, um, it announced the slate of uh, candidates uh, that came out of nominating. And then we believe that we can kind of stagger the elections throughout the week. Uh, working with the convention program committee, we are going to extend general session by a half hour each day. Uh, so it's going to um, start at, I believe, oh gosh, I'm going to get my going to get my times, uh, but, but well, general session will last for three and a half hours. I think it's, I believe it's starting at Is it 1030 or 11, Dan. 10, I think it's 1030. We moved it a little later for the West Coast right. folks. So I think mm-hmm. we're starting at 1030 and going through, <coughs> I believe, one thirty uh, or two, two, two o'clock. I two believe. o'clock. Yeah. yeah. And then I think the first, um, first breakout sessions, two thirty. Um, yeah, uh, and so that will give us some. We've extended the the business part of the uh, general session by by half hour uh, to allow us to um, you know to handle elections and and kind of the the rolling idea behind this. And this this is not all finalized at this point in time. But right. the idea being, even though we have thirteen elections, we may not have thirteen contested elections. So we would announce the slate of officers. So say. Sunday night at the end of opening session, we announce our slate of of uh, officers and then and board members and board of publication uh, candidates, and we would start you know at the at probably the started the officers at the top you know at the president's position, and you know call from nominations from the floor and if we have one then that would be our first election and then that would be. Everybody would know that that's our election for the next day. And Monday morning, we would start after, you know, our pledge and our sponsors and, you know, our, our normal housekeeping that we would start by the candidates being able to 
um, you know, have their speakers speak on their behalf, uh, which would be followed by a roll call election. And then we would open up voting for individuals uh, that would probably be open for uh, a couple of hours. We're still dealing with logistically how we do the individual voting. We've had all kinds of different options proposed there from, from, you know, teams of volunteers to electronic systems. And I think that's a lot of what we'll talk about at the voting task force meeting this evening. Uh, Nancy Becker and others have uh, been doing a lot of research, research for us on the, in the software area. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'd have that particular election that, that day. And then we would continue on down the list until we get to the next contested election. And then that would be, on the docket for the next day. And so that would allow our affiliates to have, um, you know, the evening to uh, kind of poll their their members of their affiliates and see how they would like to vote their roll call vote. Mm-hmm. And we think would, you know, be transparent and give everybody a, you know, an opportunity to participate. Mm-hmm. And we'll go down that path and see how far we get. Uh, how far we get will depend on how many contested elections we have. And then when we get to Friday, we will, you know, Friday will be, depending on how far we get, will be a, you know, be a real busy day or a not so busy day. And mm-hmm. uh, we'll kind of continue down through that same process, only just be then taking them kind of one after the other, because there won't be any programming, you know, any general session programming. Right. It'll be just elections at that point. It's a little into 826, Mr. Dan. Ooh, so, okay, so we're hitting near uh, the end. Yes. Yeah. So if, if, if you have some final points you want to make about this, you got about three minutes. Okay. Well, thank you, Paul. So I, I, I'm very proud of the, the voting task force, Pat, Jeff, and team, and how hard they're working at this. I think we've got a solution. Uh, you know, we, we've been, uh, and again, communicating from the ACB leadership and the board of directors. If we have to invest some money in doing this, that's the right thing to do. We're a democratic organization. What we want to make sure is that we ensure everybody's right to vote and we do it in a fairly easy and efficient way so we can not totally disrupt the convention by doing the the voting. Right. I know the first question that I'm going to get when we open it up after you're gone is, are we just going to invite those people who registered for convention to vote or how is this going to work? No, everybody has a right to it. So if you register for convention and you're a member, obviously we know about you. If you, uh, we were talking about that with Nancy today, it hasn't been exactly worked out, but anybody who's a member, even if they're not registered for the convention, will be able to register to vote at the convention. Absolutely. And there will be no charge for, you know, we can't, you know, it's it's a freedom right uh, as a member in a democratic organization that there will be no charge for voting. Now, obviously, if you participate in the convention, there'll be a registration charge, but you can register to vote without a charge. Yep. Excellent. I wanted to make that clear because mm-hmm. a lot of members are going to think, well, it's just going to be another of those things where, where the elite get to do it because they can afford to register. No, no, no. Everybody should be. Yeah. Yep. Excellent. Yep. All right, sir. I've taken one of your minutes. So you got, okay. you got like uh, thank one and you, a half Paul. Left. Welcome back. We're so glad to hear your voice. You sound good. And, uh, you know, I'll, Keep it going, and Thank sir. you so much for agreeing to be my guest at short notice. I really pounced on Dan, and it was very rude of me. So thank you very much, sir. 
Oh, thank you, Paul. Excellent. Have a good night. All right. Yep. Bye-bye. Excellent. It's Katie. It's you and me. Uh, yes, it is. Yeah. So this is a, this is a fun topic. <laughs> yes. Uh, voting is, you know, I know in our state affiliate of Ohio, when we were planning our conference, we had, we wanted to give people the right to vote as well because we thought it was important. And so we, um, you know, we did a lot of research, tossed around some things, um, looked at our constitution and checked with our secretary of state's office because that is important, you know, when you're yep. incorporated um, to do those things. So um, we, we were good to go. We could, we could vote electronically because of the pandemic and we, we did. And we used, we had, you know, no, we have, a, you know, obviously a, it's a smaller scale than the national, of course, and, and even sure. compared to Florida, for example. Yeah. But we had some volunteers who were not connected with ACB. They weren't members. They didn't know anyone in ACB. Um, and they, we set up Google voice phone numbers that went to their cell phones mm-hmm. and people called and um, they, the, you know, so if I were voting, I would say my last name is, is Frederick, um, you know, Katie, and I'm voting for number one or number right. two. We did not um, give the, the volunteers the names of the people running. We simply said one or two um, to them. And so, um, you know, and we wanted to use the telephone because, again, with the limitations of technology and things, we wanted to make it as fair as possible to, to and, everyone. And, and it could have been a landline or a cell phone, right? Right. Exactly. Right. Very good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so there, are, there are lots of solutions, and we'll probably hear about some of them over the next half hour. Um, we should probably begin with the caveat that neither of us are members of the Voting Rights Task Force. Um, both of us, I think, have expressed quite a lot of interest and have discussed it a lot. So, well, if we respond to your questions, we are we are kind of secondhand folks. We are expressing our opinions and not necessarily those of the Voting Rights Task Force. That's correct. Hey, so let's let's see if we got anybody out there. We do. Telephone number ten sixty. You should be able to unmute and talk. Uh, my name is Joan Leonard. Um, I currently live in a nursing home. Uh, I've been a member of uh, ACB for a lot of years. Um, And I was very ill for the last um, about three, four years. And I... I was a very good computer user, and I completely forgot how to use my computer, and I had to move here. And <clears throat> did I say that I'm 82? You did not. Anyway, yeah, I'm 82. That's and excellent. I, uh, I thought the convention last year was wonderful. I, I could be here on my phone in my room and be at the convention and be at the um, special interest interest groups that I, uh, I'm an avid reader. So I was, um, I, I went to uh, 
Lua? Lua and Braille Revival League. And, oh, oh. Uh, and I'm, I I'm very a, impressed. <laughs> well, I have a, a, a Braille e-reader now that I'm trying to learn to use. Excellent. Congratulations on that. That's awesome. Thank you. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for for your call. Yeah, go ahead. Second, Um, I am on a landline, and I hope that voting will be um, available to people on landlines. I'm very uh, upset because I don't have email right now. My sighted sister has to read email that comes to me. And I'm, I'm going to try to learn the iPhone, which I had tried to learn a few times and was not very successful. Um, I, think brain... we can, I, I think we can pretty much guarantee that if we're going to use phones, landlines are going to be there. Don't you yes. think, Katie? Yes. We, we want to make it as accessible as possible for everyone. So, Well, that I think... sounds good. But, you know, there are yes. a lot of older people. Um, newly blind older people yes. and um, and people that don't want to learn to yep. use a computer. Absolutely. We and, very much agree with you. And uh, and we're gonna we're I, gonna have to move on because we've got bunches of people waiting. But thank you oh, so much sorry. for your call. We thank really you. appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And Paul, I'm glad that you're feeling better. Oh, me too. If if you had heard me a week ago, you would have you would would have amazed that I'd even be doing this. So thank you so much for your good wishes. Um, yep. Take care, everyone. Bye. Yep. Thank you, Miss Katie. Yes, we we do not have any hands at the moment. Huh? How surprising mm-hmm. is that? Yeah. So. So let me let, let's talk for a few minutes then about some we of the things that We just got a I, hand if you want to take it uh, or you want to check. I, I I do. I do. We'll take All it. All right. Let's hear let's hear from our friend Terry. Um I I have had a long interest in this whole in the whole affiliate and the whole uh, voting process be it for the affiliates or individuals. Um one thing that I think is interesting that I hope they're going to be that their system is working out. Dan didn't seem to touch on it. And that is, yes, there'll be 13 elections, but that's a minimum of 13 elections. There could be as many as at least 18. Because Explain why. Because if someone, let's say that there's someone on the board right now who wants to run Mm -hmm. for second vice president, then that opens up that board seat. And you've got five five officer positions. And... (laughs) I mean, it's like, unlikely that it's going to go to 18, but it's very likely it'll go to 14 or 15. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I think the other interesting question um, that's going to have to be dealt with is, let's suppose you have an election with three or four candidates involved in that election. Um, unless somebody gets 50% plus one, um, then you've got to figure out some method of dropping folks. How many do you drop? And in what direction and how do you do it? Do we follow our, our current constitution? Do we adopt new rules? Um, but that's another of the questions that's certainly out there. Yeah, I don't, I, 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 I truthfully have not looked at the constitution since I don't need to anymore very often. Um, I, I didn't realize, I don't think it, it didn't used to have 50% plus one, did it? I don't th- think it was sure. simple majority. 
it, but, but it doesn't matter. I mean, whether whether it is or not. I mean, simple majority is the same thing as fifty percent plus one. Uh, for me, I don't think so. I mean, if you've got three people running and two get thirty-three, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just have to think about that mathematically. Yeah, <laughs> but no, trust 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 me on this one. My my senility uh, has not persisted so far. <laughs> <laughs> you know, once in a blue moon, I trust you on things. <laughs> yeah, that's a dangerous thing to do. I know, but the, but the bottom line is, but the bottom line is, it, we're talking about the fact that you don't get it. So it, essentially, that's yeah. going to mean doing doing another round. And when do you do it? The, the, the same afternoon or the next day? Yeah, it's there's a lot of logistics to it. There are, yeah. and, and, and then the, the the other area where these four four guys have to deal with it is we've got roll call votes and we've got affiliate votes. Mm -hmm. Um, How how in the world are affiliates supposed to handle voting? Um, Especially in a, in a quick election where, where let's say there's, there's a second round from the first Um, it's all all well and good to do candidates forums. If you have a slate of officers in advance, but we know that the rule rather than the exception is people <laughs> running on the floor on the last day. <laughs> That's true. That's, I think, I, I, I don't know. I think that the, I question whether the nominating committee maybe should be holding it on Friday instead of Saturday or Sunday. Right. Um, uh, but I think that the, I think the bottom line is, is, is if, if, if a system is developed that looks equitable and fair, it's going to be a huge accomplishment for the voting rights task force. That's true. That's true. It will. Um, it will be. It, mm-hmm. I, I think they've got. You know, there's so many other issues that come into the whole idea of the voting, and they've had so many other issues to deal with with it in general. And now mm-hmm. with the virtual piece put on top of that, just makes it that much more involved. That's why I think it is very good that they not look at doing any constitutional changes. Oh, I, I absolutely yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Katie, any more hands? Yes, Alice, Richard. Welcome back. Thank you. Mr. Um, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm a little curious, too, as, as because it, it sounds so complicated, even now virtually. What's it then going to be like once we um, go back to in-person and, well, that's a very good question. And, and but, along with, so, with, so I'm with assuming, virtual. I'm assuming, Alice, that 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 the that the virtual approach will apply across the board, and whether you're there or not, mm-hmm. you're probably going to have to do it whatever virtual way we design this year. Except then, I guess for what would be then the roll call or affiliate votes, because well, it, that's I mean, it's an interesting. It's a, it's an interesting question because remember your roll call and affiliate vote aren't your roll call and affiliate vote anymore. They're the, there's a whole membership vote. Yep. Yep. So it'll be interesting. And and maybe I have the solution. Yeah. I think we should do mail in. (laughs) Oh gosh. (laughs) But but, there's my joke for the night. (laughs) Could could we say, could we say that, that, only Braille mail-in ballots are allowed. <laughs> oh, I think that's perfect. Yes, yes. Yeah. The postal and, service would love that. So, well, let's try this instead. <laughs> let's be let's be fair to our partially sighted folks and say Braille or or something at least eighteen point or higher. <laughs> Twenty point. Twenty point. Twenty point. You got it. You got yeah, it, Alice. Okay. Now we're joking. 
we're joking about this stuff, but but all of these are the are the very real kinds of issues that that our voting rights task force is grappling with as we speak. Mm-hmm. It is not yes. an easy issue, um, yeah. and and Tuesday topics will promise later on in the year, and I'm sure Dan will will do it as a as a community call anyway. But we will promise once once the system is devised to bring the folks on who really had to grapple with this to tell us how they did it and why, because. I think it's it's fascinating, and and truly, I believe that the folks who are doing this are making history for ACB because it's a it it is a very difficult process. I would hope, though, too, what because what I'm really wanting to hear is plenty of time ahead of time on how you know how it's going to you know once they have got the system in place how it's going to work. That's what I'm waiting to hear, especially yep. because we were one of those states we could not do voting because of our incorporation thing. So. Right. We're hoping to learn something from this so that this year we can go ahead and hold our elections. Because, again, we have already voted, you know, to do virtual again. So, um, you know, so it's a matter of figuring out how we're going to be able to vote. Yep. Yep. Miss Alice, thank you very much for your call. Thanks. So next we have Cassandra. So um, I, I, I like this topic. Yep. Um, I just really wanted to come on and say welcome back thank you and we missed you thank you and don't you dare go away and leave us anymore i will not (laughs) that's it i'm done see y'all later but i'm closer (laughs) to you now because i'm up in jacksonville i've rented an apartment up here so there you go um so so cassandra you are you are kind of right in the heart of Florida's issues. Can, can you imagine Florida having to deal with this problem? So, yes. <laughs> Speaking of Florida, um, so we have not voted. Um, right. We, because of our bylaws, um, you know, but what the bylaws committee has done is um, they have we redid the um the bylaws so it's going to be interesting to see um and it took two meetings the first meeting was a long time and the second yep. one went quite as long um but they definitely came up with a plan um Excellent. so, uh, so it'll be, be fun yeah it'll be interesting yeah. to see um how we vote now katie just just to give you an idea Florida is at the other extreme. There is no vote by an individual in Florida except for a large members. Oh, goodness. All right. Well, you have your hands full, it sounds like, with your voting then. Yeah. Because- <laughs> what we do, and, and actually, um, this time, the large members didn't even vote. Right. So we, but, yeah, so we definitely each, are- each affiliate has a vote, and it's very complicated. Mm-hmm. And we have primary and secondary affiliates, and we have we have um, all kinds of exciting numbers. things. Yep. Yes. But, but the bottom line is, j- just to give folks a notion of how different voting approaches can be in different states, mm-hmm. in Florida, there is not a single situation where an individual who's paid to come to the convention, an individual who has participated in every debate under the sun, an <laughs> individual who, uh, who is a fully-fledged absolute member, um, has the right to vote uh, about... 50 or 60% of the people at a convention where an election is happening at a Florida convention don't get to vote. Right. That's, right. Um, 
that's fascinating. Yes. Um, that's I, a good yeah. way to put it. Thank you. That's a, that's a great way to put it. It yeah. is fascinating. Uh, yes. Miss so. Cassandra, thank you so much for calling in. Thank you. Have a good day. Excellent. We got anybody else, Miss Katie? Um, well, we have Alice back with us. Would you like to recognize sure. her again? Sure. Sure. Right. I just have a quick question after your your last conversation with Cassandra. Yes. How how could you even amend your bylaws? Because the way our constitution is, you know, you have to vote for that too, and you have to have two thirds, and it happens at a business meeting. I mean, it's in our constitution that way. So how can you even? Because that's what we we struggle with. Because we thought, well, well if we could change our constitution, but we can't yeah. even do that. Bylaws are different than elections. Um, in bylaws, we actually, you're, you're right, people get to vote for bylaws, but not, not at elections. Oh, my goodness. Wow. It's a, it, it's a very strange system. The, the way it works in, in Florida is that, um, I, and I won't go into all the gory details because we'd be here until 3 o'clock in the morning, but, but the bottom line is we are, we are older than ACB. And we mm-hmm. started out as an NFB chapter. Oh, and okay. so each of our chapters has has a vote mm-hmm. based on the number of members that they have. Um, and, and that's much, and it's, it's even much more complicated than that. But, mm-hmm. but because if you have more than a hundred members, then, then the, the number of people you need to count as your next vote gets um, changes. So, it's it's very complicated, but the point is that it gets worse. So let's say you have a chapter that has seventy members, right? Mm-hmm. So you're let's let's say you're you're entitled entitled and 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 this is the way it works for most folks for for to one delegate for each of your ten each ten members. So mm-hmm. if you had seventy members, you would be entitled to seventy votes or or seven votes by seven delegates, but that only applies if seven people have made it to the convention who can act as delegates for that chapter. So wow. it's even more restrictive. <laughs> it is Goodness. quite bizarre. Yes. It is quite bizarre. Anyway, we've probably talked far too much about Florida, though it is fascinating. One of, one of, my, um, one of my hopes is that before I pass on this mortal coil, we can change our constitution. I tried so hard to get them to move away from this. It just, uh, anyway, mm-hmm. hasn't happened. Um, yep. Any more, any more hands? Yes. Um, I, we have another call-in user. It might be Bernice. I'm not sure. Let's allow them to talk and see who we have. Hi. Yes, it's me, Bernice, and I apologize. No, I, I'm sorry. I don't know if you responded. What I was trying to find out is that, you know, what kind of, uh, term will people have? Will they have a shortened term so that we keep the the election structure the same, or are we going to to alter it, or what's going to happen with that? I, I, I think that's the way it's going to work out, Bernice, but, but again, neither of us are members, but what we've heard is that is that they're going to stagger elections so that um, we, we can very quickly get back on schedule. Mm-hmm. You mean so that the officers will be elected in the odd number of years like right. usual? Right. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I was concerned about that. The other thing that I am excessively concerned on, you know, this month I have been a member 
of the American Council of Blind for 48 years. Wow. And and uh, I, I think that's longer than you, Paul. <laughs> I think it is. I think it is. And, Let's see. And, um, um, and, you know, when I became a member, um, uh, <clears throat> it was in Arizona from Judge uh, John Van Lanningham, who was on the board yes. of ACB. And, uh, and uh, he had gone to law school in Lawrence, Kansas with Judge Reese Robrand, who was the second yep. president. And, um, and those people, including Derwood McDaniel, brought me along in the organization yes. uh, with a strong understanding. And, and changing this voting structure is totally demolishing the, the council. And, you know, on the 40th anniversary of the organization, which was in um, Des Moines, Iowa, uh, Judge Reese Robrand couldn't attend, but the first uh, the the living presidents uh, each spoke one each day at the general session and um and Reese Robrand brought up very strongly once again that the voting structure is, is the cornerstone of the American Council of the Blind and I'm very concerned about any alteration on that um I think you raise a, a good point one that folks need to take into account um, and I, I'm not sure. I started out in um, in um, FCB in 1977, Bernice. So I don't know where yeah, that puts me. I was there in Miami Beach, and, and uh, I but I started in '73 in in Knoxville. Tennessee. See, there you go. But mm-hmm. I but I think to your point, um, I don't see a lot in 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 the current changes um, that would that would significantly limit the way things are. I think that the one concern that I have uh, is that it's 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 going to be harder for me anyway to differentiate between a a roll call vote and an affiliate vote, um, and and I think there's going to have to be some clarification as to how you do that, and 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 as to how that affiliate vote is very meaningful. You know, you, you yeah. know, and I know that way back when, um, particularly special interest affiliates. Um, Often use their their voting strength politically rather than rather than effectively and democratically. Well, some of them did. One of the one of the things that that um, I'm not happy with is that it was very important to have a seating in the general session yes. for special interest affiliates. And you know, I can tell you, in 1978, for instance, I was um, chair of the resolutions committee, so I was up on the stage behind the the president and and when we were going to vote here i came down the stairs and crawled on my knees around to find out who from cclvi wanted to vote which way yep. so that yep. we could get an appropriate vote and yep. a lot of and and then you know what when we have the the the, the person where people can walk over and tell the the, the uh, delegate how they want the vote, and you know, right. Pat used to, you know, strike on a on a page and figure out how ma- how many wanted this and how many wanted that. And she'd split right. up the five votes. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And and, um, and go ahead. Go ahead. No. Go no. Ahead, well, please. I I just I I just I'm so concerned about uh, the importance of why people need to truly understand that this was a very important reason 
for 39 people walking out of one hotel into another and creating the American Council of the Blind. Right. And, 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 and at the heart of it, it, it was an absolute and categorical and unequivocal commitment to democracy and to assure that the membership as a whole, rather than the leadership, controlled right. and, and operated the organization. Yes, we are a membership organization. Yep. And unfortunately, so much of the American Council now is functioning at non-membership in, in its in its capacity. And yep. I, I, I'm very concerned about that. Well, I'm sure there'll be some community calls and some opportunities to talk about it. And I hope you will join those and be as eloquent as you have been tonight. Well, thank you. I, I uh, you know... Um, <laughs> I must say, uh, a lot of those calls, I, I think that it's it's uh, they're not as structured as they could be into the the uh, overall structure of the organization, right. and I'm right. concerned about that too. In that, right. you know, they have uh, people doing things. We already have special interest affiliates in certain topics, and yep. they have uh, uh, Zoom calls on those topics, but they're not connecting with the special interest affiliate. And if you knew yeah. Derwood McDaniel, he was the, he, you know, in 1977, he met up with Dr. Sam Janinsky, uh, uh, yep. Elizabeth Lennon, and I don't know who the other person was. And he said he wanted, he and, and, and Gene Apple met with them and said, we want there to be, a low vision special interest affiliate in the American yep. Health Blind yep. to deal with issues. Each special interest just needs to they they have the right to bring up their issues uh, to to ACB and then go forward from there. Yeah, um, Denise, give our best to Roger. We're going to have to cut you off because we're running out of time. Okay, we'll do. Thank you. Yep. Thank Bye-bye. you. Katie, do we have one more hand or shall we wind her down as it were? I think we should wind her down. I just, I think Bernice raises some interesting, if I can take a moment of sure, privilege. Um, yeah. I think Denise, uh, Bernice raises some interesting points. and But I, I also think that, you know, I, I really don't think the the principles of ACB have changed. You know, if no. we, you know, look at, I think we are still a membership organization that's, that's why we're pushing so hard. The voting task force is doing everything they're doing to, to make right. this work. So, and, and, I, and I, I think the other you know, issue is we're, we are moving to make membership in ACB give you the right to vote, which it never has in the past. Mm-hmm. Really, the only people who've had the right to vote are people who could afford to come to the convention. Exactly. Precisely. So yeah. I think, I think we have some, uh, some good, good examples of change and some good times yet to come in 2021. Yeah. I think so, too. Um, Miss Katie, thank you so much for being an absolutely wonderful host. Um, Maybe we can do this again. I'd love to. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That will be be excellent. And and no, no, um, no, nothing at all against Mr. Rick Morin. He is an excellent (laughs) host as well. (laughs) So, ladies and gentlemen, I have only recently come back from the ill. And so I currently don't have a confirmed guest, but watch your email within the next day or two. Uh, I, I, I've got two or three 
ideas out in the wind, and I expect that we'll have a really exciting show next week. One of the things I'm trying to do either next week or the week after is to have a director of a state rehabilitation agency come on and tell us how the pandemic affected rehab. So I think that will be exciting. In the meantime, I'd like to take just a moment of personal privilege and thank everyone um, who filled my my email box and my phone mailbox um, with good wishes over the last few weeks. Um, I, I received them all. I wasn't always able to reply, but I truly did appreciate what all of you guys said and, and all of the good wishes that, uh, that came over my illness. I am so glad that I'm better, so glad that Tuesday Topics is back up and running, and so glad that I had the beautifulest hosts in the world uh, for my first one back. <laughs> well, we're, so we're glad you're back, Paul. So yeah, welcome back. Yeah, me too. And, me yes. too. So watch your email for an announcement on what we're going to do next, and uh, send ideas to me as well for Tuesday topic uh, topics that you would like us to cover. Um, I've actually taken several from folks, and I have no problem whatsoever in stealing them. And I guess the last thing that I want to say is kind of what I said at the end of my message. Um, when an organization is truly looking at itself and taking a hard look at where it's going and how it's going to get there, it gets better. And the reason it gets better is because its membership is committed and effective. Thanks very much for joining us. Love you all. <laughs>